Good morning. Welcome to the Explicit Measures Podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good morning. And there's no way I'm going to get to high octaves today, but I will try. <laughs> <sighs> Happy Tuesday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What, I, I chest, what happened to you? Thing going on. Got a little bit. It was funny because, what was it, uh, last last week, I was over at a friend's house and he lives way out in the boonies and his wife drives home and she's like, honey, there, there's, there's like a hovering lights over the house. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, come on. So we jump in his six by drive down his driveway. Cause like I said, he lives in the boondocks. He's way out there. Yeah. And, and he's like, like, sure enough, looks like it's gotta be a drone, right? They're just sitting there. <laughs> these lights and they're bright and they're close by each other, but it's like not in any weird configuration. So we call up our other buddy who's usually with us and and he's like, bro, there's, there's these lights that are just hovering over my house. And he's like, Oh, you mean Jupiter and Mars or whatever? Because the, there was like the planets in the sky were like super Super close by and they call it like the, the something kiss or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're just laughing because it's like it you swear that it's just like that close because Feet they were so your bright. Yeah. there's no way you would have thought they were planets so anyway um yesterday he pings me and he's just like bro what, what's going on with the oh my goodness chest thing he's like you know like did your experience with the aliens last week like get to you <laughs> and i'm like my response was i am losing a couple hours i don't you know maybe maybe they gave me really the flag or something. <laughs> yeah but yeah got got this nasty chest thing that's going around uh oh. So enjoy the deep voice. Oh boy. I'm enjoying it. I love it. Yeah. It is very Walter White esque even more. That's mm. just getting into the role so a bit more. I'll try I'll try to mute as I as I go into coughing fits or things like that. But anyway. All right. Bet that bet you thought that was a little bit more of an in, uh, involved answer on Tuesday, huh? Of how you and then I found <laughs> and I found twenty dollars in my pocket. <laughs> and then I woke up. <laughs> Any kind of intros that we want to talk about, or kind of things coming across the community? There's a couple uh, announcements that I think occurred. Um, one being the Power BI and PowerPoint is now generally available. That is a new thing. Have you guys played around with that at all? That feature? Yeah, this was the feature they released, I believe, at um, was it Ignite last May? I think so. And it was obviously private previews. That is the ability in PowerPoint to insert a power uh, page from Power BI that's actually live, and you can interact with it, and you can even like save a state, kind of like a personal bookmark. Yeah, so I, I guess this looks like preview. two. Yeah, it's also looking like they actually added let you add a single visual now too. You can just highlight a single visual and add it as well. Yeah. And then there's something called the smart insights basically on a, a particular visual. So yeah, I guess is one of those things that it's been around for a year now, but now it's actually finally available. Yeah. I, I played with it, but it was a little buggy, right? In preview, mm-hmm. there were some things that just didn't work um, or, or locked up or didn't refresh for some people opening up my report or yeah, yeah. Some, some things like that. So Definitely giving it a, a whack again. I it, I loved it, right? It, it kind of the merge between jumping in, you know, when you're doing a presentation, if you're 
mic if you're forced to use PowerPoint. If you like, if there's no other choice, you know, rather than bobbing back and forth, uh, it was a great like experience to kind of showcase like, oh wow, oh there's this interactive thing, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it got some oohs and ahs. So yeah, I'll definitely see if I can integrate it back in. <clears throat> I I played with it a little bit initially. Again, I'm not a big fan of PowerPoint. Everyone keeps mm-hmm. saying, oh, Power BI is like the PowerPoint of data. I'm like, no, Power BI is the data for data. You know, PowerPoint is just something else that people sometimes use. Oh. <laughs> I, I, uh, my, my most recent conference, we were, we were at the, actually, the couple conferences that are, are happening right now, one of which is the Global Power BI Summit. But while at that summit, I actually did my presentation and all the slides that I needed were all built out inside Power BI. So yeah. I'm, I'm sticking to it. I, I think Power BI... For me, is all I need to be able to design things at this point. So that's a good feature. One that's also right reached GA, I think a little bit more important than PowerPoint. Again, my opinion here is I don't really love PowerPoint. So, you know, Tommy wants to convince me and show me the show me the ways of why PowerPoint is so good. The other one that came out recently was the multiple audiences is now generally available for organizational apps or apps. I think to me, this is a way more impactful. This is one that I've used a lot more frequently and I'm using now with clients today to kind of help delineate, okay, we're going to, we're going to publish one app. We're going to have multiple audiences. We're going to give people different reports from a certain topic or area. This makes a lot more sense to me. So I think, I think this, to me, this I, is agree. I agree. You're going from, yeah. from, from the minute this hit preview, it was enabled or left on <clears throat> this, we're- this extends apps to like it removes all the the barriers that we have yes. right on as yes. a workspace now you yep. can have multiple different audiences within the same workspace you can provision you know different report visibility purely on on the app alone yes. as opposed to like individual sharing of reports etc um this is a great top like intro topic for nis 007 uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube, right? Apps are a great way to extend and share reports to a large audience because yep. it would be one share to that audience and then you can continually add reports to it and they automatically show up. Another great way is using Azure directory groups, Azure Active Directory groups. So group them up and have uh, IT manage those permissions. But apps, love it. Audiences, best thing ever. Great, great, great feature improvement. So I'm going to respond back directly to that question. The question really was, <clears throat> what is the best way to share a, uh, a securely, let's add that, securely share a report to a mass of people? So I would say if it's an internal app that you're sharing internally, the best way is using a Power BI app. But if it's externally, if you're talking about like external users as well, I would recommend looking at like embedded solutions or building an embedded application that lets yeah. you to uh, authenticate people, filter down the data to what they need to see, but still be able to embed reports directly to them. Microsoft has some ability to do that, um, but the the costs uh, in which you'd need to, to adhere to that using pro or premium licenses, a little bit more prohibitive. I think the embedding application is actually a bit more cost effective and you can actually set some more, you have more control about your costs when you do embedded. Yeah, 100%. And, and yeah. like you've, you've uh, what, low, lower, lower barriers of entry as far as like, adding everything the uh, the the complexity yes. is you have to have the the layer of an application that is going to maintain that yes <laughs> and, the, and there are accelerators out there so if you if you want to know more about an accelerator around embedding embedding applications i've already built one i've already got a solution out there that makes it super easy and you can start embedding in 15 minutes 
uh, or less. So if you want to reach out, hit me up on LinkedIn and we'll get you started. With that, um, I think those are the main the main key articles that came out over the weekend. Um, moving over to just some general announcements. The Global Power BI Summit is occurring right now. We have had day one. I already did my talk and, and lessons so far for the Global Power BI Summit. Super fun. People were great, very, very kind and friendly. So thought it was wonderful. There is a ton of content. So there's just a lot of things to be uh, that are being uh, spoken on and, and talked about. So highly recommend the conversation and that event. You can go get tickets still. It's at globalpowerbisummit.com. And then uh, Tommy and I will be appearing in uh, Wales here uh, the 14th through the 18th of March. We'll go into SQL Bits. So you could, if you're also in the area, if you want to join SQL Bits, feel free to join. You can get a 5% discount with Power BI Tips 5. All right, that's enough of the sales e-marketing so stuff. 15%. What's going on? 5%. Oh. So that's, uh, that is the, the SQL Bits discount as well, so... Hopefully we'll see you there. We'll, we'll look forward to it. I've never been to SQL Bits. I've heard nothing but good things about the conference. So I'm really excited about that one. Excellent. Anything else uh, you guys want to cover up before we get into the main article today? Sounds like... I think we're ready we're good. to go. All right. So I think this article is very timely. And I've had a number of these kind of conversations recently. Just about people getting their head around what Power BI can do for their organization. Uh, the article, and I will put that article in the link description below here, or in the description. So here's the, the link for today. It's also in the description of the video. Don't forget about your data, your BI. Has it stalled? Has it, have, you, have you been able to continue to develop your data culture? So this is an article by the Harvard Business Review. I think it's spot on. It starts off with a number of statistics in the very beginning, talking about... Um, just surveying a number of CFOs or CEOs. Uh, how do they feel their company's doing with data culture? How do they feel uh, how, how much they're making the moves with their data and analytics inside their organizations? And it looks like from the numbers that were surveyed, you know, only, what are they saying, about four years ago? Four years ago to today, people were making moves and strides, and today the numbers are down. Like, for example, um, they, they reiterate, just 59.9% uh, of executives reported that their companies were driving for business innovation with data compared to 95, or sorry, 59.5 four years ago. So absolutely no change. So more executives don't feel like they're driving their business or innovating with their information and data. Then our next bullet point talks about a disappointing 740 point, man, I can't say numbers today. Holy cow. A disappointing 40.8 of executives reported that their companies were competing on data analytics, which now is a decrease from 47.6 from, from four years ago. So it looks like the numbers have slid down a bit. What are your thoughts, guys? What do you think? Does this resonate with you? Is this a, a similar theory that you're feeling here? Does it, is there a less of an emphasis to keep moving here? No. <laughs> like... I think we should we should open with an intro though. Like Randy Bean is the author of this this post. Let's do that. Um, yeah. So he he's the author of Fail Fast, Learn Faster: Lessons in Data Driven Leadership in an Age of Disruption, Big Data and AI. He's contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and MIT Sloan Management Review, and the Wall Street Journal, and is Innovation Fellow, Data Strategy with Paris-based Wavestone. 
Like it. Rand, Randy, thank you for your article. And uh, like, if anybody wants to reach out to Andy, you can do that. Or Randy, you can do that directly. He leaves his uh, information in that in that post. Um, I I think what's interesting here, Mike, is you pose that question, and we'll get into it. But a lot of the the devil in the details is comes from the survey link in there mm. that I, I think rounds out a, a lot more of what my initial reaction to the article was right okay. because i i agree i get the gist like we're we're saying that um has bi stalled valid point and in some respects i think the argument is yes it has in the areas that we've talked about like internally where does business intelligence normally live and mm. and data culture and, and things like that so we'll drive into that for sure but i think the the reason why is Definitely something that comes out to me much more in the, the survey forward than it did in, in the article at first. I, I love this article because you would think this goes against everything that we've talked about and kind of what we preach, where we've said Power BI is at more organizations than ever. And uh, more people are adopting it than ever before. We've talked about the data culture. We've talked about the uh, adoption um, in spades. Yet, there seems to be this odd, spurious correlation between there's more data in the hands of users and organizations than ever before, which I think we could all agree on, uh, agree with. Power BI, Quilk, Tableau, all, all the all the new technology. Yet, we're seeing uh, a decrease or, in a sense, a negative slide in what you would expect in terms of data-driven organization, um, data culture established, data is an actual asset. All the things you would say, like Power BI would solve, we're kind of seeing the opposite. I, maybe something else I'll put out here, too. Maybe this is something I'm just observing. But I think when you put in front of organizations a, a tool that enables more data and analysis you either get the, the organization either rises to the to the you know the people who can do data and analysis rise to the top and start really leading and being able to leverage the data or if you never had a data culture to begin with you you kind of flop like the the technology gives you access to more information than ever and instead of building insightful actionable reports where you're getting stuff done I find you just have more people asking for data dumps and, and doing more of their own siloed analysis. And when you survey across the organization, you're looking across and going, well, you, what, what value are you adding with this report? You're just putting numbers together. So I think this, the, the tool, the technology accelerates or maybe even emphasizes more of the um, challenge around does the, if you don't have the culture, the tooling can't fix it. Guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, it, you you can't throw more technology at something and just make everyone data driven. It just doesn't happen. So I think I think the, the interesting thing for me in in terms of just the forward push in the intro is what what the survey and what he's saying or what I the way I read is th this is not to suggest that over like from the first time they did this survey to now or even within the last four years that massive investments have not been made in data and AI and analytics. 
it because I don't, at first I was like, hmm, I don't really think that's the case. But then what I'm saying is they, I think they have this nailed. I think over the course of like what the last 10 years, especially if you're looking at fortune 1000, what has been the major, the major focus for these organizations? The main drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Growth, innovation, get, get first to market, first to everything, rapid innovation, do it with, and, and these are big data companies, right? You're talking large volumes of data. You have different, different insights, different ways to go out at the market, et cetera. But the type of reporting or analysis or analytics is not internal focused. It's external focused for customers, right? It's That's true. How, how can I maximize my investment in these tools and data and analytics, which I found very relevant for, for my experience as well. But I like that's the distinction for me, <clears throat> which was tons of tons of innovation, tons of focus from the business has been on these areas. It just has not been in the area that he is focusing on now, which is when we're talking about business intelligence, it's mm. internal focused, right? It's more about are we creating a better environment within our own organization to make every area better? Yeah, and I'll, I'll keep going along those lines. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. There's a lot more information and data kind of coming across the radar here, particularly for any, any organization is now facing like, the volume of information you're able to get and leverage is now becoming increasingly larger and larger and larger. And I think you have to start realizing that the companies, I believe, realize data already is a strategic asset. Like they, they get it. I think they're, my opinion is they understand it's valuable. Whether or not they have the, t the skills and talent on the team yet to be able to get through all that information and be able to produce that, that's where I think the, the challenge I think for me starts to reside is we maybe haven't invested enough on the people internally to focus on those, that data culture that we want to drive. Because it, I mean, regardless of whether you're, whether or not you're pushing data to your customers and trying to add value for them, which that's, that makes them sticky, right? That makes the customer come back to you over right. and over again. That is a very <clears throat> good goal to have, but unless you're in still investing in that internally to the organization and making data-driven decisions, you're going to have a whole bunch of wasteful effort internal to the company if you're not using that same level of communication internally to educate. And, and I agree with that, but if the focus has been so much outward-facing or rapid investment, I'm going to lose my voice by the time this is over. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The investment. You talk um, a lot. Forward then you're not going to be investing a lot in some of these time-consuming efforts internally. And I don't, yes. I don't agree. I, I think, if anything, tools like Power BI have allowed this to happen because mm -hmm. it's not like our organizations weren't looking at data. Like, as this rapid growth was happening, we just yes. had a tool now that allowed them to plug into the necessity things that they needed. Correct. Is it where it needs to be? Uh-uh which is what we're talking about, right? Yes. The reinvestment in focus. So had it has it stalled out? Yeah. But rather than looking at like Power BI is like, is this the thing that made it stall out? I'm like, no, I think this is the thing that made it, allowed it to occur in, in some cases. I would agree with that. So you, you're saying that you think that things like Power BI allowed this stalling or at least this, this slide to occur? 
I'm I'm saying I think it allowed organizations to to uptick that curve of external investment or rapid mm -hmm. innovation by using data because like like to my point I don't like organizations doubled down tripled quadrupled down on analytics AI machine learning etc it just wasn't focused on internal data culture data literacy etc so when you're doing that rapid innovation I think previously the the challenge would have been you would lose the entire organization like all the pieces that would need to support whatever rapid innovation was happening would fall apart because it required these these structures behind the scenes to support that in some way right but now we have tools that rapidly can plug into the bits and pieces albeit you know in a it works kind of mentality to to support that leg and now i think we're at that pivot point where especially what's going on you know with uh, the economy etc that will probably start to trend back in the focus i think of this article and where our focus should be is now now is the time for us to reinvest those efforts where we might have stick built solutions around tooling that we have like power bi let's create the framework so that this is a bridge and not just something that's going to fall apart over time i think this goes perfectly with uh, a conversation or a topic that's seems to creep up uh throughout our history of ta talking about power bi is the democratization of data where we're putting data in more hands than ever and what i think what's occurring with that is even though in the article they're saying that 92 percent of respondents say that the investment of data and ai and the technology is creating business value they still says it's not enough to move the needle on organizational transformation. So I think us providing data in more hands in more ways is fine. But if this goes back to the conversation we had about uh, the scorecards to me and the, uh, and the Power BI metrics where it's not just the technology you're releasing the, te the technology out there. Now everyone has access. There's this investment and time and measurable goals that need to occur in terms of how the organization views performance, views success, and actually uh, tracks towards that where technology can't solve uh, alone. And I think what's happened is, and I, I'm, I'm a culprit of this too, like Power BI comes out, we're going to create a report for everyone. But the problem is no one's necessarily being accountable or really you know, tracking towards or creating their own metrics themselves, that creating their own key results uh, on a department basis that's actually measurable. And I think even though we have all this data everywhere and more access than ever before, the reason why there's that lack of literacy, that lack of, um, so to speak, that it as an asset is probably because a lot of organizations are not investing in, hey, let's, here's how you plan your objectives here's how you plan a measurable plan to me that i think that's a huge culprit of this power bi is just a vehicle where just allowing data in more hands than ever before you you think what's a huge culprit i think the honestly tools and uh technology like power bi where now if you want to access your data if you want to create a report you can do it in in minutes uh you can create different visuals you can connect to 
all your different data sources. How many reports does Microsoft always claim have been created or models have been created across the world on a, like a yearly basis, like billions and billions of models users are, are using? I think that billions, 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 billions. <laughs> but honestly, I we'll think that's a powers reference there for you, right? I think that's a huge, I want to say, um, ignition or engine towards where the there's more data, but it's not because everyone can create it or anyone can create it. There's no direction in terms of what should I look at and really trying to start at another point of what's important. What are we trying to track? It's just, oh, great data, great mm -hmm. bar chart. Show me my previous history. And then that becomes a little, uh, it becomes a little, in a sense, like muted in terms of what you're actually showcasing. To me, it's just because data is everywhere. I, so a couple points around what you guys are both saying here. And again, I want, I want to reiterate, I feel like the, the tooling is becoming a commodity, right? So it's, it's, it's basically becoming so, so I'll, I'll lean on this. Um, there's an analogy that I found that worked very well for, you know, when you want to drive more consumption of something, right? So it's called Javen's paradox. And I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, but the, the cheaper you make something. So this was a, this was a parallel between when they're burning coal for heat and light or, or whatever over in a Europe somewhere. And they were like, well, if we make, if we make coal cheaper to produce, it will be easy. It'll, it'll, we'll use less of it because we just won't need as much. What happened was when they brought the price down, people actually consumed more of it. And it's the same thing with like electricity and light. Like a long time ago, you had to have like a candle to be made, which took hours of time to make a candle to produce light for your house. Well, over time, we've been able to produce electricity. The price of electricity has gone way down. The cost of light is extremely low. And so the fact that light is almost free to produce anymore, we now have this new problem called light pollution. So it's this, it's this concept of when you bring the price down of the technology, the consumption increases. And so if you think about the lens of what we're doing with data things, the tooling, and again, I'm not talking Power BI specific, but think about just the tooling in general. There's open source projects. You can go get Spark off the shelf. You have all these data, these data type tools that are all open source. The price to go get the tool has been slowly decreasing lower and lower and lower. And so much so, like I would even argue, if you're an organization that lets people install software on your computers, you can go get desktop for free. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> and this is something I've been using all along with the whole Power BI story is, you're getting this full featured analysis services engine for free inside desktop. That is incredible. Even Excel costs you money. You have to pay for Excel. I mean, granted, if you want to share your content, that's where they make, they get you in the sharing side of things. But they're they're literally developing the software, the program, the desktop application for free. So when you get to that level of that the the tooling becomes a commodity, what do you get? You get a proliferation of many more three, four, five x times more things being created. All those things are not adding value. Just because you create 10 more things doesn't mean all 10 of those things are actually required to drive business decisions. And so I think right here, my thought here is the commodity of the tooling is now driving more artifacts to be created. And without proper data culture guidance, are we really adding more value or just adding more noise with more reports? 
yeah, I, I mean, 100%. We, we added a lot of noise, right? So in, in, our, in our various ways of like, how are we here? I think we all agree we're here, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. the, the investment has not been made by organizations at large. And that's what this article re, re or I should say bolsters, right? We are in agreement <laughs> with, uh, with Randy that, yep, that's, that's our experience as well. Like there, there's a struggle to have data culture, have, um, data represented in, in the way that it can be internally in organizations. And Mike, to your point, it means we got a lot of noise in an ecosystem because people were utilizing tooling that like all of a sudden wasn't hard to use anymore and gave them at least enough of the answers that they needed to be successful in their jobs. Because if a business wouldn't have been able to keep up with that pace, they would have slowed down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where my point of tooling came in. <clears throat> yes. And it did. It supported it. But the underpinnings of that are are loose at best. And you have organizations that aren't are siloed in those initiatives to solve those problems and innovate rapidly. Right. So what do you have? Cross-functional discord. Like you don't people don't know what other teams are doing. They don't know what those major initiatives are. They don't know where these data sets are. Like, mm-hmm. how do you start to compile and really make use of that from a, a long-term perspective? So I agree 100%. And I like your point there, Seth, and I'll add on here too, right? We're talking about the difference between technology and tooling and potentially the idea of what are we actually dri- driving behaviorally? What is occurring? And I think there's some other questions organizations should be asking themselves. Yes, we're using more data than ever before. Yes, we can have tools that are easier to access and get people uh, using them. But the data culture questions are questions like, are we getting cleaner data? Can we, can we answer that question? Another data culture question is, are we, being, are we able to put processes in place that allow people to trust the data? Do we have, is, is that happening, right? So to me, those are more like data culture type questions. Are we getting a better data process? Meaning, um, we have the ability to highlight issues. We, we like the, the technology, the fact that everyone's now looking at the information is we're not just illuminating the data was just junk to begin with. So yeah. what are we doing now to like actually fix it so that it's actually cleaned and better to be able to use so we can use better AI machine learning elements on top of it? Do we even have the right questions to ask of our data? The, these are these are, I think, are more soft skills that go with the data culture pieces here. And I think I think I hope the fact that these tools are now becoming less of a barrier to entry or less of a cost point. I am hoping that the educational space, you know, the, the next wave of employees that are joining the workforce will just start getting some of this training and it'll be part of their culture, right? It'll be, it'll be introduced earlier. They'll be thinking about these uh, better ways of using and leveraging data. And that'll just now the new wave, we have to groom this though. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a steady progression of investing in the people. So, so I guess one of the things that I, I wanted to ask is we have Power BI, but there's this lack of investment in data culture. What do you do if you are your BI analyst, you're maybe you're the admin of the Power BI tenant, or maybe you're lower than a, a chief data officer. Maybe you're someone who ma- manages business intelligence at your organization with Power BI. What can you do if you're seeing this trend or this, this, what we're saying, the article 
uh, rings very true for you. We're like, man, we have all these reports and app audiences, yet we're seeing that you know the the state of literacy this this uh, data as an asset as a as an impactful part of the organization um is lacking what can that person do or what can they start in terms of okay we yes we need to invest in a data culture we need to in uh, invest in data literacy yeah where do you start i mean I'll, I'll point out some of the article items so i think this actually does does a good job of that question goes back to the article and starts talking there's like four main key bullet points at the end of the article and i'm going to pick out a couple ones that i think that makes sense here one is if you're if you're that employee who's looking to build value from information and starting to get it. One, I would just say, continue to educate yourself. Find other people who are already doing this in their organizations. Talk to people, uh, learn from other people doing the, doing the value add business. One of the items in the list here was from the Harvard Business Review article was build strong business partnerships and sponsorship at every stage. And one area that I think is very relevant here is there are people working on the data at a lower level than the CTO or the VP level of data, whatever that may be in your organization. <clears throat> I think communicating upward is a very um, relevant thing to do, right? And this also, I think, partners very well by, by communicating what you're working on, communicating the value, communicating the efficiencies that you're finding with the information or data that you're producing, you're able to get more investment at that leadership level. And, and then if you're a middle management type person, I think it's an, 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 a distinct investment to allow your individuals and your team to go find and learn more about data things. Invest in them so that they can learn more about what good data looks like, what good quality looks like inside an organization. The other point here, the other thing that also is very relevant to this conversation would be is instead of boiling the ocean, start small. I think gone are the long, long gone are the days of building entire enterprise warehouses as a one monolithic thing before any reports come out. I think you're, I think we're building a lot more rapid prototypes. Get a little bit of data over, build what you need to build, solve a problem, incorporate it into a solution into the organization, and then build upon that solution. So people don't want to wait six months, eight months, a year to get their first look at all the data they're trying to acquire. They want, they need the information now. It's a challenging question, I think, Tommy, because a lot of a lot of this discourse is not on a dev level, right? Yeah. Um, what yes. I would say is there there are key things that devs can probably lean into. Um, one, one being <clears throat> pretty much every company I know of has had 5% layoffs. Like there, there's been a, a cut of that team that was hired for that rapid innovation that's no longer a need for the organization. Um, and the shifting of where organizations are at likely is going to be in operational or creating efficiencies and cost savings as opposed to just rapid growth and throwing money at things to get out ahead. So everybody working in an organization, regardless of level, sh should have ideas about how do you align to these new objectives and looking for and finding opportunities, to Mike's point, to um, bring those opportunities forward to your management or yeah. forward to, to further the discussion around what does it mean to raise the data literacy for an organization, but to start in your department, right? There's a, I, I guarantee you because of the pace of things that have been going, <clears throat> there's opportunities for you to say, okay, we need to harden this 
this frame, this flimsy framework, right? Because otherwise it's not going to sustain itself, right? Or there's, there's a reason behind our efforts that ideally drive into one of these efficiency factors of like long-term cost savings or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those are the areas where I would, I would try to focus in as in the day to day, if there are frustrating points because of that rapid innovation that you would look for those opportunities and then start to articulate those upwards for people in like, I guess, as you scale up and you're looking at not just like your team and then wider audiences, I think where a lot of this starts to branch into areas that we've been talking a lot about. And I love us continually talking about and getting different perspectives because as Randy is talking about his major points of like focus on cultural change and its business impact instead of boiling the ocean start small right like you're not gonna like just come out with a brand new initiative and then like launch it throughout the organization without complete buy-in from the extended leadership team um yeah. build strong business partnerships and sponsorship at every stage like mike said like build building blocks as you go along right if you're it depends on where you're at as far as like is your organization recognizing and doing this big shift that Randy's talking about, then it's going to be much easier, right? Because everybody in stream is, is looking to innovate and build on these, these, um, new ideas. But if it's not that, then you need to, you know, you need to be the bricklayer, right? Like I'm going to start from the bottom and we're going to build yes. up this wall and make it strong, et cetera. Yep. And then as you're doing it, <clears throat> don't forget about data ethics. Your customers won't, right? a lot of these and the themes kind of roll into uh, what we've discussed or talked about, or you've even asked about right now, which is like, how do you build a data culture, right? Like these are all pieces within here from different lenses that I think just allow us to turn these ideas over and over and over to create really solid outcomes. And that's one of the benefits of, I, I think, these conversations and why we have them is because we just kind of toss this idea around and we add more to it and then good good thoughts and, and strong directions come out of it because one of the things in the survey is um, most of the problem is going to be around people, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So us thinking through like the best way to, you know, refocus on these areas what are the structures what are the processes what are the things that we need to do like there's a huge people component in here and i think it's an interesting one because i think they make a, a point in here where there there seems to be almost a disconnect between some cdos and that need for building a data culture and it being a really big people problem mm -hmm. that i don't think we've missed Right. Like every time we're talking about this, there's a people component. <clears throat> yeah. But I think that's the variance in trying to launch these really big programs within organizations is because every organization has a different culture. It's it is different. So it's not a boilerplate thing that you can be like, OK, here's the process and boom, here's how <laughs> here's how all these people are going to align. Um, what I want to stress, though, is if that's the case. Like, what are some what are some ways we can incentivize people to to want to engage in in these data culture activities? 
Ooh, this is really good. I, I I feel like a trend I'm seeing is there are some people like to take on a challenge that does this. Some people are just naturally drawn to this type of they like it, right? <laughs> like 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 a light uh, like a a bug to a light, right? Kind of thing. They're just they're, I like well, that's one that's part of my personality, right? I like the challenge. I like creating things that are new. I like looking at things and discovering stuff. Like to me, I was very drawn to the data aspect of things because it was like this experiment, figuring things out and trying to <clears> learn <throat> what it was, uh, how to how to make it work, right? And I wanted to understand what made it tick, kind of thing. So that was kind of the interest that I had with Power BI. But I think longer term, I started realizing that wow, this, this could legitimately be a career all in of itself, working with information, moving data around. And I really enjoyed, and maybe it's part of my, I, I like taking stuff that was random and organizing it to some degree. <laughs> I liked, I enjoyed that part of it. But I think there's a, a the whole the whole scenario, you know, I took a class one time that changed my career. It literally changed how I thought about what I could do with my career. And I at the time going to school, I never had a data analytics class. I was... And there was no opportunity for that. And this is like a new field that I feel is appearing here that you have to kind of encourage people to find similar minded individuals that enjoy exploring and discovering and building insights on top of data. I think there's going to be more people out there who are going to enjoy this type of career. So how do you incentivize them, right? How do you find these people? And to your question, Seth, what do you do to engage them? I, I think it's, and some of the other articles we've talked about was encourage innovation, encourage people to experiment. I think that's something that has to be a little bit uh, as an investment to the organization back to these individuals. Any thoughts, Tony, from you? I think the biggest thing is there has to, before you just go in with education, is it's an investment, right? And if it's going to be an investment, then it, it has to be something that is communicated, planned, and measured in terms of, hey, we need to invest in our data literacy. We really need to invest in our culture. Okay, great. So that's the time, that's resources, that's people. Um, so what what's going to be the value and putting together a plan of what's the outcome of this and how can we measure it's uh, actually successful? We're creating a baseline, I think, is huge for this. Uh, Wherever your organization's at, if you're doing it on a on an organizational cross-department wide scale, or if you're doing it for a particular department, what are the hurdles right now? What would this solve? How can we measure a baseline where we're at right now? And in a few months from now, if we're actually doing this, what should we expect to see? I think it's a huge part in, in order to get buy-in. Dan Meister is making some comments here in the chat window around talking about you know, key leaders are, you, you need a key leader in the organization, someone who has skin in the game to buy into this is, um, this is a strategic move for the organization. But I feel like the larger the organization, it's like a ship turning, right? I, the larger the organization, the more momentum we have going in this one direction and to change the culture of an entire company or a larger company, it takes more time to turn. And I feel like, for leaders in those data departments, it's potentially more of a risk to them because that could go either really well or it could go really not well because you have many more room, much more room for errors and issues. <laughs> I think that's also pointed on the survey. It's like somewhere in there, like uh, CDOs are uh, 
like they're they're becoming more prevalent, but the the role comes and goes a lot faster than some of the other extended leadership teams. Yeah, because it's risky, <clears throat> right? I mean, there are. I mean, you, there you, are. You come in with like, the response. You have all the responsibility, and you need your team to like think about data strategically. What are you doing to get them to think that way? But it's not just your team, right? And the whole organization. Think, yeah. Like if it was so cut and dry, we wouldn't we wouldn't have probably ten plus episodes talking around or about data culture and and these things. And how do you enact change or get data to be something that everybody in your organization is in lockstep around? Mm-hmm. Like it's a hard problem to solve. Uh, so. In, in, I agree with Tommy from an incentivization standpoint that you know you're not gonna you're not gonna lean be able to lean on people's goodwill to go you know change their habits. Yes, you know o- the OKR framework is a, a great way to do that, mm-hmm. but that takes it does take buy-in at least from a, a leadership team to say yeah okay that can be one of your objectives if that's you know within your team, but hopefully it's in a wide wider scale where. Mm-hmm as you start to roll out these programs, there are key results that are part of somebody's success, you know, on a, on a quarterly basis. I think that makes a lot of sense. Other thoughts in the article. What, what was your thought about the, the last item here? Uh, don't forget about data ethics. Your customers won't. Thoughts on that one. Yes. Do ethics. <laughs> I feel like I I think this is one of those things that if we're trying to figure out the measurable project plan from a value point of view for investing in data literacy and the time, I unfortunately I think this is the one that probably uh, goes by the wayside. Think this one gets left behind? I think it always. I think this one really does get left behind. I think what got left behind was me understanding that there was a link to a different article. Maybe we talk about it. Maybe we, maybe data ethics is a different podcast. Could totally be. I mean, I think, I think there's a whole, <clears throat> um, especially now that we're moving more towards this AI space of things, you know, what does that do? Right. How are we training information? Uh, it, it, are we training it with bias already included into it? And is it presenting information back to us that's in reinforcing the bias that's already being generated. There's there's some questions I think that go along with this. Yeah, I would agree with it. I mean, I I I wonder. I think this has to be another episode, Mike, because I wonder if this kind of dovetails into your comments before, where can you have different parts of the organization manipulating data in such a way to tell different stories? Right. I think so. Have checks and balances in there to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, It's probably data access. You know, who if you're democratizing data. What's the security around, you know, things that, that you should have security around. Um, all in all, I, I think the, this, this article alone, I think is, is a fantastic one. The, the linked survey at the very top adds a lot more to it. And what's interesting to me is kind of the breakdown mm-hmm. of where all of this information came from. Like it's a strong shocker from a data and analytics perspective, a strong, almost 60 plus percent come from financial institutions. Oh yeah. Right? So it's like, yeah. depending on your industry range, right? It, the, the huge standout of people responding are people who are, are numbers folks. Like they, like if you, the, I, I forget, maybe it was one of my guys. They were like, if you want to make an impact in an organization with power BI, start with finance, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. They're the ones that are locked in 
on data and doing a ton of analysis all yeah. the time. And if I say wanna, that all the time. Yep. If you want to make Power BI shine and have a crew that's like, oh my gosh, automation is <laughs> yeah. the best thing in the world. Use it. Yes. Finance. Because <clears throat> they already love and enjoy Excel to some high degree, mm -hmm. right? They're already finding immense value in, in pushing data around, giving them tools that enable automation. That That's a team you want to get on your get on your side right away. And honestly, the finance team holds a lot of the purse strings to what's going on across the organization. They're communicating what we're spending our time and or money on to leadership. Right. So right. like another, another great advantage, one, they're great data people. Some of the sharpest people I know are, you know, CPAs and people who have, have really like dug into like the, the math and the finances of like how companies make money. I mean, what better team to go find friends with? <laughs> the, the ones that are like talking about right. the purse strings, right? You, scratch, you get them behind you. and your back. You scratch behind. <laughs> right. it, it has to be some sort of give-take relationship across companies. I mean, realistically, right? I mean, it, in all these cases, right? To get more information, you have to participate. I mean, this is part of this is part of the whole idea of like the center of excellence and the community of practice, right? The reason why these these centers exist is to help enable that organization. And if we don't put enough emphasis on the center of excellence or the community of practice, educating and acknowledging, we we lose the traction of, you know, some of what we invest in for making clean data and making lakes and building out reports and distributing those reports. We need a place that's going to be able to centralize information. I mean, Microsoft clearly talks about that in their adoption roadmap. Got to have an executive sponsor. Got to have an center of excellence. And I think many companies get confused between what is the community of practice versus what the center of excellence is doing. I, th I think there's a disconnect there. I think sometimes companies think those two areas are the same group of people. And you call it whatever you want. But the community of practice is everyone using Power BI and data, while the center of excellence is focused on delivering value, building the data culture that that works with the tooling that you have in, in place. And I think that's a miss. Other thoughts? Other things you want to cover off on in the article? I thought this was a really well written article. A lot of the points here resonated with me, and I like this. I like the opening with the statistics, some of the stats there. Like, you know, we're we're seeing like a slide a little bit based on the survey back to you know f from four years ago less you know doing doing less with data than we were four years ago kind of thing i i agree I, yeah go ahead go no ahead. i was gonna say i really <laughs> just the biggest thing right now for us is when we go into organizations and it's not enough to say oh look at the cool new features in power bi or from a data visualization point of view it's really being able to have this uh the sway having the um authority or having those credentials at an organization where people will trust you uh, and really starting off in terms of what are we trying to measure what does your organization what does your department do what does your team do and starting there but I, I was gonna say there's a there's another thought or maybe this is too late in the podcast to be doing these kind of thoughts but like tommy like i feel like that what you just said creates two two type two types of reactions one reaction is, good job, Tommy. You've done some incredible analysis. We like this. Let's do more. Right? Let's, let's, let's incorporate what you're doing. We've added value. Let's keep going. I think the other mentality is you present something that is insightful and it's contrary to our normal observation of how our business runs. And I think, I think I've seen it both ways where we walk into these situations where 
we now start fighting a political battle. Whose numbers is right? Where should the data come from? Can I really trust these things? And I think you also see a, an area where the business can push back very heavily against these new creative, good ways of doing things around data because it's not showing something that you wanted it to show or it's illuminating weaknesses in a team or part of the organization that we need to fix. So I, I think it can ruffle some feathers fairly uh, well here when we're, when we're talking about these, these changes in how we do analytics. Do you see that happening? Is that something that you observe too or no? I think, yeah, honestly, I think that's one of the, the biggest things right now is just like we've talked about the hype cycle and we've talked about chat GBT, the technology comes in, people are readily adopt, wanting to adopt it and it takes off. Look, we have reports now, but what really needs to happen beforehand because it's it's harder to track the culture and the literacy, right? You can see how mm -hmm. many reports are being used. You can see how many visuals are there and where the hours are being sp spent, but to track and to measure the value or the quality of your data culture, well, that could go unnoticed for years or uh, completely. So you would never know. All right. Well, I think we're at the time we're getting, we're getting wrapping up a time here. Uh, I think it is time for chat GPT session. What does chat GPT say? And are we on track? Are we correct or not based on uh, this topic? So the question for today to chat GPT, how do you know if your business intelligent efforts have stalled? Okay. That's, 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 that's when I put the question there. And uh, chat GPT is now ready, writing out a nice little paragraph for us. So we got five things to know if your business intelligence has stalled. Let's, let's react to these and see if we, let's see if we, this is right. First one, number one, lack of adoption you've implemented a bi system your users are not actively using it and this could <laughs> yeah, be a sign that your problem. bi efforts have stalled <laughs> i think that's spot on right right no right. one's using it right you put it in place and no one's getting value from it limited it's insights side, yeah. <clears throat> limited insights if yeah, your BI you're providing system, no value <laughs> exactly if your bi system is not providing new insights or it's not conforming to what you already know you could it could indicate that your power bi your bi efforts have stalled bi systems should provide actionable insights that help and enable decision making outdated data if your bi system is providing outdated data or is not integrated with the latest data sources it could be also a sign that your bi system has stalled lack of agility your bi system is not able to adapt quickly to changing business need or is too cumbersome to use oh i've seen that before like it takes us yeah. again oh, we got <clears throat> You need a new table? Yeah, it's going to take us two months to build that new table. Or we need a new data universe or whatever. And it's going, to, it's going to take you six months to get it. It's too slow. This could indicate your BI efforts have stalled. BI systems need to be agile and flexible and keep up with the changing business requirements. Low return on investment. Your BI system is not providing the, the initial return on investment, nor is it generating measurable, measurable business value. It could be a sign that your BI efforts have stalled. BI systems should be delivering tangible benefits such as an increase in revenue or cost savings. ChatGPT got it right. If this report no. isn't making you money or saving oh, you yeah, money, yeah, yeah. don't right. build it. That is the last part. <laughs> the, the funny thing about this, right, is um, the, the, the discussion has been around the, the focus in front and why we need to focus internally. Yes. And ChatGPT took, took this to... Well, when when you focus internally, here's how it can go wrong if you mm -hmm. do it wrong. 
Like, yeah, totally. Which is why we talk about it all the time. It's if, and against the very, if you are experiencing <laughs> any of these insights, um, you know, lack of adoption, limited insights, outdated data, lack of agility, low ROI, and <laughs> diarrhea, you it might be time to reassess your BI strategy and make assessments. Sorry, no CODs, batteries not included. You know, all that kind of stuff. So I, this is this is spot on. I think this is incredible. Um, you know, could result in upset stomachs and uh, other uh, other miscellaneous ailments here if you don't have your good BI data strategy. Right on. Well, I think I think ChatGPT was right on. That was those were good points there, and I would say those were those are good areas to focus on as well. With that, you've burned through a perfectly good hour of our time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Go read the article; very relevant. I think any organization should read the article. Um, it links are in the description and as well in the chat window as well. Highly recommend you read it. Um, you know, Randy Bean, thank you very much for your article. Very good, very well written. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I, again. Little insights every day. Just keep pushing into it. Learn a little bit more. How can you implement and do things a little bit better for tomorrow? Uh, and then you won't get stuck with uh, a stalled BI effort. You won't. You won't have to go chat GPT and tell you you uh, you have lack of adoption. <laughs> so our only ask uh, for listening to the podcast is if you like this podcast, if you like what you hear here, if there were some insights or things that you gathered from this that felt relevant to you. We really appreciate if you share the content. Just let somebody else know that you enjoyed it and found some value from it. I'm. I guarantee you. Uh, for those of you who are listening, you're going to hear these kind of conversations in your day-to-day -day business. So let somebody else know, hey, this was talked about on a podcast. You should check them out. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere. It's available. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and you can listen to all of our previous episodes. Uh, if you want to join the conversation live, you can do so every Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30 a.m. Central. Awesome. Well, thank you all very much and we'll see you next time.